My man, absolutely delighted to have you here yeah. on the Modern Warrior Podcast. And you are a man who has overcome many battles in your own life. And you've become an inspirational figure to many people out there uh, due to the adversities that you faced in your own life. We can speak about some of those th things today. I know there's a couple of those things you want to park and you know not tie up your identity to it. And I can appreciate that too. Uh, al although in saying that, there are people out there who are in dire straits at the moment, who are struggling, who are suffering. And hearing your story and the things you've overcome to get to this point will give them the lightning bolt to get up and make a move in order to improve their lives, be it a physical thing or be it an emotional thing or be it both. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. And before I started this conversation, before I even reached out to you, I've been following your content for some time and I'd like to go through your content and get to know the person you are and, and the message you're trying to deliver, deliver. One thing that struck me or one thing that really stood out for me was something you mentioned a while ago about pattern interrupts and maybe the importance of interrupting mm. your patterns. And my first question to you is, is based on that in terms of your own patterns in your life and what were certain patterns of behavior that you were following that you needed to break in order to reach a new and better level in your own life? Yeah, um, good question. Yeah, definitely don't jump right into the, the deep end. I like it. Um, uh, I will step back and say like, yeah, so uh, you'll probably put this in the intro, uh, but it's, you know, stage four lung cancer dealing with that. And that when you refer to not identifying with it, I have no problem talking about it when it comes to something like this. I just did a keynote yesterday in Vegas. And, you know, I use that as the as the baseline in which we're working from. It's just a, it's just an example point, right? What I was tired of doing was on that, on, on Instagram and LinkedIn, where I'm at, just tired of talking about it and always talking about it, right? And so from now on, it's not about the cancer, it's about what it, it's about what it's showing me, right? About what it's giving me so that I can teach others. Um, so no problem talking about it in this sense, but simply as a sense of, I have this, this is what the result is versus cancer that and cancer this and all this stuff, right? Because a lot of people have it harder than I do, not only in cancer, but in just life in general. So I didn't want to make it about that, but more or less about what do we do about that? Because what, 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 what was the reason for that? Uh, I mean, so there's... This was a story that you followed for a long time in your life. And was there an epiphany? Was there a trigger point where you thought, you know what, no more? Yeah, I mean, like, think about it. The, the, whatever you discuss, whatever you talk about, whatever you think about, whatever it is, right, it becomes ingrained into who you are. And the more I talked about cancer and all this stuff, the more like it just became a part of me. And I rather, so the easiest way to look at it is this. Uh, it's, it's a weird, uh, weird visual because I can't, I haven't figured out anything else. But like, yeah, I think about like a big round plate 
And then I think about the, the bottle top of something, like I was thinking hot sauce, Cholula specifically, because I like thinking about Cholula. But like that's a small bottle, that's a small cap. And cancer was all of a sudden the big plate. And then the rest of my life was this little cap. And I was like, this is not a way to live. And so the more I talked about it, the more that plate expanded. And I was like, I don't, I don't want that. So I wanted to reverse it. The, bottle, the, the plate is my life and the things I learned because of that little bottle cap of cancer, right? So that's kind of how you look at it. You put the cap on the plate and you're like, which one is cancer? Which one's your life? And I wanted my life to be the plate and the cancer to be the cap, right? So what I do with my life, um, more, I want it to be the dominant thing mm-hmm. and not cancer, the dominant thing. So it's, it's, just it's, an element it's of more deriving the lessons from that incredibly traumatic experience more yes. so than using the experience itself as a way to determine that's, your life. Yeah. 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 That's exactly it. That's exactly it. It's the experience, the small little experience, because we have lots of small little experiences. This one just happens to be cancer, right? So it's kind of like, it's just that small little experience feels big sometimes, but it's just that small little experience is going to just give me some insight into the bigger yeah. plate of life. So this is a certain, this is a certain, this is a certain pattern Versus that you need to break when you talk about pattern interrupts. That was one of them. That was one of them for like, 17 months, right? It's like cancer dominated my life and my, the life with my wife. And it's just like, it sucks. It's like, you know, just live, it was like, just live your life. And I'm like, yeah, I'm trying, you know? And it's like, uh, uh, so that's why I kind of, I'm just gonna, I'll reference it because it's a reference point, but it's everything else that matters. It's not like, oh, my cancer, you know, that's kind of how I look at it. I got, I got, I got a lot of good, I put that video up of like not identifying and I got incredible comments. And then I had one person send me a message and basically be like, Chad, I think you disappointed a lot of people. I lost a thousand people in a, in a day. And I was like, I was expecting it because I, I'm a marketer. I know what I'm doing. I'm like, I need you to unfollow me. And that's the instant, like, yeah. it's the instant <laughs> like hook, right? And it's true. And if you unfollow me, then it's uh, like, I, I'm sorry if I'm not like going to talk about this. What I'm talking about is like, well, what can you derive? What's the message you get from this thing? Right? That's, that's the thing. And that's what I want to go with. Because yes, cancer is my adversity, but somebody else has some, you have something else, right? It doesn't matter what it is. Like people have a lot of their shit. And the question is, are you going to take that message and do something with it? Or are you just going to sit there on the message? That's kind of what I'm trying to get at. It sounds harsh sometimes to people because they just want to sit. And I was like this for a long time. Self-pity. I was just in self-pity the whole time. And I'm like, that's not how you, that's not how you move forward. Yeah. That's not how you build, build, how did you, build, uh, no matter what's happening. How did you begin to shift from, from the, the, the victim mentality that this sort of diagnosis brings. And of course that's not subjective to you. I, I believe that anybody going through such a traumatic experiences experiences that would fall into the default of victimhood. And of course this, as you know, renders you powerless and uh, gives you a sense that you don't have control over the problem and the issue. So how did you begin to, to shift that and to, and to move forward? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, it's funny, you know, like when you get something like this, 
it forces you to learn something new. It just forces you to learn something new and whatever that is, right? And so for me, now it's coming down to neuroscience, frankly. It's neuroscience. And uh, that's, that's the high-level term, the, or the scientific term. The, the layperson's term in my head is, how do my thoughts affect my life, <laughs> right? It's really simple at the end of the day. Um, and so I've learned a lot about this stuff, and it's simple, right? Like your thoughts, there's a, there's, so you have your thoughts, and then you have this thing called psychoneuroimmunology, which means it's, it's, it's the study of, of, of the chemical reactions that your thoughts create. So every thought you have creates a chemical in your body. And if it's a good thought, quote unquote, it's a dopamine. If it's a bad thought or whatever, it's adrenaline and cortisol, okay? And so when I started learning about this, I'm like, well, I can't, be, I can't afford adrenaline and cortisol, so I should figure out how to switch it to dopamine. And so I started learning about this idea, this neuroscience of, of neuroplasticity, right? Wiring and firing. It's like, how do you prune bad neural nets in the brain? How do you sprout better ones to adjust your chemical balance? And so like, as I did this, I mean, I was doing this, I do it two to three hours a day, right? Um, to help me withstand some of this. I mean, 10 months ago, I wasn't even functional, right? I couldn't really do the things I wanted to do. And 10 months of practice, and like, next thing you know, like, I'm up on stage yesterday talking as if there's nothing wrong. Yet, shit's getting worse for me, right? Like, that's what's crazy. Like, the, the things are getting worse, technically. And, uh, but I'm still here. I'm still here, and I'm, I'm what, what my wife calls Charger Chad, right? I'm just charging stuff. But that's only because I, I spent the time pruning bad thought patterns that were undermining not only my healing process, but my day-to-day. -day. And so when you think about the fact that I spent this time inside this mental work, so there's no like one point where it like flipped. It's not like, oh, there it is, <laughs> right? It's just this continuous process. And like, I look back 10 months and I see where I was and I'm like, holy smokes. And it's just small little changes, small improvements over time and then you can see the big difference so there's no real like thing i mean i think i think probably the trigger point was learning that the brain instructs the body and once i learned that the brain instructs the body that's where the change happened that's where the trigger point happened i said shit i gotta change things my head and how i think and so that changes how i feel and so like when we come back and close the loop on this identity thing where i was like i'm no more with this that was a sequence of events for months. And then finally, one day I was like, you know what? Identifying with this is just perpetuating the thoughts that I don't need. And so I was like, you got to get rid of the thoughts to stop identifying with this. And I said, well, the first step is stop identifying with it so you don't have the thoughts. So, so a big reason you know? for removing your identity f from, from cancer is, is also because of the, the healing process that's required here for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Like the more I think about the cancer, the more I talk about the cancer and don't get me wrong. I think about it a lot and I still talk about it a lot. Right. But I don't, I I'm, I'm slowly. And I was like, well, the first place I'm gonna stop talking about it as much publicly. Like I just can't do that anymore. Right. Cause then I get all these people flooding me with messages and messages like, of, of sympathy usually, which you you know, actually don't need either probably is uh, it it's, you need messages it, of empowerment yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 variety yeah there's only and here's the deal a lot of times people will message me like oh man like i have this and i have that and like 
I, I empathize with that and I sympathize with that. But when I hear these things, like it, all it does is continue to, to create that environment of, oh my God, oh my God, everybody, it's all, it's a lot, it's a lot. And I was like, I can't, I just don't want this anymore. I'd get people, and I'm going to say this out loud because it's super annoying, but I get a lot of people who message me like, oh yeah, like my brother died. Oh, my dad died. Oh, so-and-so died. I'm like, dude, stop telling me this shit. Like, I'm sorry, but stop telling me. Like, that's kind of where I'm yeah. at now. If you, if you, if you like are in the midst of something, obviously I'm like, I'm like, dude, all right, here we go. I'm happy to help. But at the end of the day, it's about what are you doing in your head to help you heal in your physical body? And so this one guy messaged me after I put that video up and goes, Chad, uh, that was super disappointing. I think a lot of people are upset and, uh, you know, I think they're just disappointed. <laughs> I literally wrote back and I was like, how do you know if 150,000 people are disappointed? Like, did you talk to them? I go, go look at the comments. 98% of them are like, yeah, man, we're with you on this. And so I said to the guy and I empathize because I know what it's like and he has something. And I'm like, look, I'm sorry. But for me personally, like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And I'm telling you right now, like, the more we sit and fester, in the adversity, and this is why I now just call adversity because whether it's cancer or something else, the more you sit and fester in the adversity, the, the, the further you're going to get from, from finding a way to resolve it. That's, that's just how yeah. I look I at mean, it. I mean, you, you, you know? you've put that into context as well in terms of 10 months ago, you were barely functional or you were in a, in a very, very bad state and you're barely. still in the middle of this shit storm. Yep. It's it's still something that you're navigating. I'm, yeah. I'm not. I'm not talking to someone here today who's who's come out to the side of this yet. And I think that's something. I think that's yeah. yeah. The people are like, I'm a survivor. Yeah. I'm like, I'm that's far important. from a survivor right now. I'm I'm less that's a survivor than anything else. I mean, because <laughs> yeah, you're you're still yeah. going through this battle, and you need the tools and the strategies and the and again messages of empowerment, not messages of sympathy, or not messages of of doom and gloom to get you through this situation, as you know, and, yep. um, you know, you have to become yep. selfish in order to become, uh, empowered and, and to get beyond this. So you can continue to move on and serve and lead and, and be the man that everyone needs in their life You know the people in your life, in your life and, and the people who follow you and the people who are closest to you. So, yeah, I think it's a very powerful stance and, you know, you mentioned something there earlier as well in terms of putting into context what really matters what does really matter right now yeah i mean look number one i tell you right now the only thing that actually matters is your health that's like literally no, if you don't have health you pretty much can have nothing else Right. And so doing whatever you can to be in the right place, physically, mentally, metabolically, because the minute you don't feel good or you have something like this, you're, you're, you're a worse spouse, you're a worse family member, you're a worse friend, you're a worse colleague, right? Like all these things. And more importantly, your head just goes and let me put it this way. Uh, all the things I thought were important really aren't that important. Your, your health is, is just the most important. And so like focusing on that, and this is why like, 
part of what I'm doing now is just this concept of becoming elite. I have to become elite metabolically, physically, and, emo- and mentally to live. And so I'm like, man, mm-hmm. nothing matters except for that, <laughs> right? Because if I can't be those things, then I can't do what all of the other things are important to me, like my wife and my, and my family and, you know, the projects, the projects I'm building, right? None of that's as important as me trying to heal myself. And so it's like, let me put it this way. The thing you think is important, like that's, that's like just driving you, it's probably not that important, right? Some of us, I'd say 98% of us, because myself included before this, right? All the things I thought were important definitely are not important, right? Like me doing well at my job. Like, yeah, sure, it's important, but man, it is not the thing. I can tell you right now, you know? Or you becoming like this incredible entrepreneur, right? Like the next Elon Musk, like that's an, that's an important in a way, but it's probably not as important as just making sure that you, the human, mentally, metabolically, and physically, are actually at, at, at the optimal state. Because without that, you couldn't ever become Elon Musk. You know, although I don't know, he's not really metabolically elite. So. <laughs> I don't think so, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think that's his priority. Uh, <laughs> taking over the world and taking over space seems to be more important yeah. to him. So, um, ruling the world. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And you, as you, as you reflect back now, knowing what you know now, having, having, you know, going through this, this situation in your life, do you yeah. think it, it was potentially because you didn't focus on what really mattered back then? Yeah, man. So the entire keynote that I did yesterday, right? The title of it is Finding the Sustainable YOLO. Finding the Sustainable YOLO. Everybody wants to, to YOLO, right? So YOLO, for the obviously, if you live on a rock, then you don't know what it is. But it stands for you only live once, right? And basically, YOLO is just really a, a never-ending sense of dopamine, right? That rush of like fun, adventure, spontaneous. But then the sustainable part, right? Like, well, if you continue to do YOLO all the time, seeking dopamine, right? All these, yeah, you're going on the random trip. You do the thing and buy the shoes, whatever, buy the car. Like, if you do that nonstop to keep getting that dopamine, like, you might go broke. You might get divorced. You might get fired. You might get something because you just can't. It's, it's just not, frankly, it's not possible. But then this idea of sustainable, that means maintainable right? Sustainable means can you maintain it? And really what people are looking for is maintainable dopamine. (laughs) That's it, right? So that's really what the sustainable YOLO is. And like I did this presentation and it's just like I go through all the things that I was doing because I did have a vision for myself. My, my, uh, I had a great upbringing, blue collar, middle class, super loving family, no trauma there, right? Like it was incredible. Two parent family, like people would wish they had that weren't rich, weren't poor, you know, and, uh, you know, but then I go to college and then I have an experience in Australia and I'm like, man, that's what I want with my life, which is essentially, I rode my, I rode my bicycle for the Australians. It's my push bike from Brisbane to Sydney. And everyone's like, that's wild. That's basically, it's, it's, it took me 14 days, eight hours a day of just riding my bike there. And, uh, that experience said to me, I was like, dude, there's something about this world. I just want to explore it and share it with everybody. And that's when I wanted to do stuff like Nat Geo, Discovery, and uh, 
you know, like similar to Anthony Bourdain, not the same, but stuff that they're doing. But I was like, let me be a real estate millionaire first, you know, and then I'll go build stuff or go do that. And like started out great, crushed it in, in real estate 2005 to seven. Then there was 2008, the great recession hit, lost everything, started over. But instead of like being like, you know what? Go be more authentic me and figure out how to get into Discovery or National Geographic or, or uh, stuff like Parts Unknown with Bourdain or whatever. Instead of doing that, I was like, well, I'm going to keep going in this world of startup and SaaS and tech and all this stuff. And I did. I kept going. And I had some good successes, right? Owned a few agencies, worked at incredible companies. And... But every single time, I was just like, I'm driving down this road, like 100 miles an hour. Now, most Americans don't drive a manual car, but I have three old trucks that are all manual. And I think you drive manual in Ireland. Yeah. Most people in Ireland probably do, right? So you know that you can't drive down the freeway at 100 miles an hour or whatever, 120 kilometers an hour uh, in third gear. You just can't do that. You're going to burn that thing out. And that's essentially what I was doing. That's essentially what I was doing. The worst part about it is I'm driving third gear in, in uh, 100 miles an hour, looking at the other road I wanted to be on. <laughs> so not only am I burning it out every day, but I'm also looking at a different place that I wanted to be in the first place. And so I'll call that there's a lot of stress involved, right? Specifically, inauthenticity stress. Like I'm inauthentic to what I should have been doing. And so that inauthenticity was always like, when am I going to get to the thing? When am I going to, instead of just doing the thing, I made really good money in real estate uh, when it was good. And then I lost it all. But when I was making really good money, the idea of like starting over and going back to like, you know, 25 grand a year was like, heck no, man, I just made so much money. Like, why would I do that? And sometimes when you look back and look, you can't look back and wish something else, even though we often do it. I often look back and I go, I don't know. I would have happily taken 25 grand to work at Nat Geo, right? As an assistant, you know, running coffee, you know, because eventually I probably would have got to somewhere else instead of ending up where I am today. Now, that being said, you can't look at this journey and be like, oh, I wish I did something else. You actually have to look at this and say, oh, I was gifted this. What am I doing with it? Right. So long and short to, to wrap that up is simply, yeah. I was, I, was, I was driving at 100 miles an hour in third gear, looking at a different road I wanted to be on. And basically, it's the same thing as running in a hamster wheel, and cancer was essentially the stick in the spoke that took me flying off of this thing. Hmm. There's a lot of people on that motorway, isn't there, though? You weren't on your own driving 100 miles an hour in third gear. Um, and... They're they're stuck. They're 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 stuck on that because again, it it seems to be some sort of societal expectation or family expectation or conditioning from the past or comparing yourself to someone else who seems to have this very grandiose, very successful, very happy life that's often portrayed now in front of our eyes twenty four seven on social media, and you're driven towards this and driven mm. towards that, um, and never truly understanding how you got on that road in the first place and why you're stuck here so again if you're to go back and and perhaps 
sit in the passenger seat of that car whilst you're driving down that road in third gear and 100 miles an hour, what would you say to yourself? What would you say to the driver there? Uh, yeah, I mean, what I'd say in this, in this analogy here, it was, hey, man, can we just pull off to the side of the road for a minute and just kind of assess where we're going? Just let's pull off for a minute. It's not going to you know, pull off for 15 minutes and just let's take a breath and see like really where we want to be going. Right. Cause we think we want to go this way. We think we want to, that it's going to bring us somewhere else. But I would tell that person to just hold up. And it's actually what I talk about in this, in this keynote. So they're always like, well, what do I do? Well, the first thing is this. So, so let's say this, you pull off to the side of the road for 15 minutes. Okay. Now, that 15 minutes in this analogy is important because you can have a 15-minute conversation. But in the crux of life, like in real life here, really what you're looking for is this pattern interrupt. You need something, right, to pattern interrupt that. And that's what I would be saying to the driver. I'd be like, hey, let's pull off for 15 minutes. Let's talk about it. But in life, you need a full pattern interrupt. So there's two things on this. Let me go back a step, though. You first have to find out if you're actually on the wrong road. And the easiest way for me to explain that, right, is the hamster wheel or a maze, right? A hamster wheel or a maze. No one in there, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, hey, man, I just want to go run a hamster wheel. Never, ever heard that, right? I never just want to go run in circles, right? But I have heard people say, hey, man, I just did this maze. I just did this maze with my hand. Like people like mazes in the Midwest where I'm from, right? We do corn mazes. So you like run through the corn and it's like a maze and it's super sick. But you can do a maze on a piece of paper. Some people do mazes on the back of a magazine because why? It's fun. It's interesting. And it's, it's cool. But no one's like, let me, practice, let me play this hamster wheel game. No one's ever said that. So the first thing you have to find out is, are you in a hamster wheel or are you in a maze? Because mazes, even if you bounce off walls and go the wrong way and all that stuff, it's still fun game. You're interested. Yeah, it can be frustrating. But at the point, at some point, you come out at the other end, or at least there's a way to come out at the other end. You may not get there, but at least there's a way. On a hamster wheel, there's no way off. <laughs> there's no way off unless you stop running or there's a stick in the spoke. So that's the first thing. Find out if you're on a hamster wheel or in a maze. If you're in a hamster wheel, if you're in a maze, you're good. Just have fun. But if you're, and by the way, it's a 98-2 rule, right? They say the 80-20, right? 80, it's always an 80-20 rule. 98-2. My hunch is that 98% of people are all the way on a hamster wheel or mostly in it. That's the, my the, the, the hamster wheel as well is very and then, mundane and boring. It doesn't bring challenge. And I think, you know, I work mostly with men and it's probably mostly men who are listening to us right now. I believe men thrive in, in challenge and, and competition. So the maze offers that. It offers the challenge mm -hmm. because... Yeah, every single time. So you think about it this way, right? Going back to that. Yeah, people aren't challenged. And what happens when you're on a hamster wheel when it's boring and unchallenging? Yeah, I don't know. You drink some beers a little bit more. You have more cocktails. You do yeah. things to numb yourself on this, right? You're looking for the dopamine. And a beer, alcohol, is eventually dopamine. Yeah, right? you, find your, you find your thrill somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. But the point here, that's it. So my point is, is that's the first step. But if you're in a maze, you don't have time for booze. 
you're running around. You're like, dude, this is super fun. This is sick, right? Again, not always fun, but at least you know it's a challenge and there's a way to get out the other end, okay? So that's the first thing. Now, if you are on a hamster wheel, this is where we're coming back to like pulling off to the side of the road, right? If you're on a hamster wheel, you need to pattern interrupt yourself. Cancer was the stick in my wheel and that's not fun. You have the choice, right? Many of you have the choice to put your own stick in the wheel. So when it comes to that, like here's the example, we did this so uh, incredibly like, you know, I wanted to work for Nat Geo, but we built this TV show concept in, in May. It's called Supply Run. And so it's because I love to travel so much, my brother and I designed this thing. It took us years to get to this point to figure out what actually works. It's the combination of Amazing Race, Anthony Bourdain, and Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs. Meaning Amazing Race, there's a race element to it, so it's exciting. Uh, Anthony Bourdain, a little bit of culture and interaction with the people, right? So they can have some down-to-earth conversations. And then number three is, is this idea of Mike Rowe and Dirty Jobs. Mike Rowe just did the thing. Right? It's called Dirty Jobs. I'm going to go do the job. And so that was us saying, hey, we're going to go do the thing, interact with people, and we're going to do a race out of it. That's the concept. But the thing is, is we would bring somebody. So we had somebody apply, and we brought them along. And in this case, his name was JD. You can go watch it. His name's JD. He lives in a Florida-gated community. And he, we laugh about this all the time, but he lives in a Florida-gated community. Never left the country. And then we take him to the to, to, to Kathmandu, Nepal, into the Himalayas, up to uh, the border of Pakistan and, and India, right, to, to basically Kashmir. So somebody who lives in a Florida-gated community, never left, all of a sudden is going to these places. How big of a change is that for that individual? Yeah. Hmm. Right? It's quite a bit. But here's the deal. JD was on a hamster wheel. You know, you, you, and you can watch it in the show. You, it, they explain it and, and we explain it in episode one and two, but it's like, he's getting beaten down. He's got all these things. He's lost his spark. His wife literally says on the show, he's lost his spark. And he's looking for a pattern interrupt. And so when we look at the supply run, a pattern interrupt is not taking a weekend to go sit in the woods or a weekend to go sit in Cancun and like go to all-inclusive. You need something that's going to be long enough and a sharp turn enough, and something that isn't about you, right? So in this case, Supply Run is three weeks long. It's about delivering supplies to a community that could use them to support their life better, right? And most importantly, he's completely out of his element because he's never left Florida-gated community, right? That's a legitimate pattern interrupt. And he says it, like literally says in one of our trailers, in the middle of it, literally says, how does one go back to normal life after this? That was 10 days in, right? And already he's like, oh my God, how do you go back to normal life? The, the pattern interrupt has triggered, right? That's one way to do it. You can do it multiple ways, but it's got to be long enough, different, different enough, and even hard enough. That's you talk about the interrupt. sustainable YOLO and... Yep. You know, this, this gentleman, he had an absolute epiphany when you took him off track and off, off the hamster wheel. And he had perhaps a, a YOLO experience. How was he or how is he sustaining that in his life now? Like what's, what's the, what's the outcome of this experience? Ah, oh, man. Great question. And it's like, you know, it's one of those things where 
when you do something like that, usually the changes might show up three to four, six months, seven months later, right? Because it's not like this immediate thing, but it shows up in your life some way because you're like, wow, because of that, I now am looking at a perspective this way nine months later. And it was crazy. Uh, <laughs> when we were on the trip, like literally we had to rush to our next spot because he, he didn't have a job at the time. He literally got fired, or not fired, laid off right before he went. And I'm like, wow, talk about doubling down on like just things being hard, okay? And he's got a family and a kid and he's like, oh my God, now I'm supposed to go away for three weeks and do this thing, right? And kudos to him for like pushing through and knowing how important it was for him. And so we were rushing to the next spot. I think it was like day 17 or something because we had to get him to the, to like a, a hospital, not a hospital, like a hotel or something. So he could get internet to do an interview for a new job. So he's literally interviewing for a new job while we're doing this TV show concept, trying to deliver supplies. And the guy on the call is, what are you doing? He's like, I'm on supply run, sir. And the guy's like, what is that? And so then he explains what he's doing. And all of a sudden there's this rapport because he's being different than everybody else that this guy's interviewing. And the guy's like, what? Long story short, he gets back, he finishes interviews, he gets the job, right? Amazing. He lives in Florida. I live in California. Three days ago, <laughs> literally three days ago. Yeah, last, no, not three days. Last Thursday, so about a week ago. I'm sitting in my office, looking out the window, and this guy walks by my, my window. And I'm like, who the hell is this on my property? It's the guy, it's JD. And I'm like, wait a second, dude, you live in Florida. I'm in California. What the hell are you doing? He goes, I was here for work, decided to stop by, like unannounced. And so I was like, holy shit. So we started talking. I was like, how's things going? How's the job? He goes, dude, I got to tell you, my mental fortitude is completely different. He goes, it's completely different. And like, I'm in this job. I love this job. I'm around the right people. He goes, but the way that I operate because of the trip, it's just different. And like, he can't even put his words to it, right? Because you can feel a sense of difference. So this literally was a week ago. So to, to answer the question, like, you never know when it's going to happen. But like the fact that he showed up my house unannounced and was like, dude, my life has changed. I don't know how to describe it, but I look at things differently. And there's a sense of, quote unquote, the old JD, right? A little bit of that spark is back. He's excited about his job. He's excited about what he did. He's excited about what he learned. Now, here's the deal. Obviously, that's going to wear off at some point, and he's got to do something more, right? So I think he's going through that process. But I mean, frankly, when, he's, when he says, look, my mental fortitude is increased because of the trip, that is kind of what we were looking for. And I think he'll probably continue to get these experiences over time. You know? If you were to describe... The, the greatest outcome that someone could achieve from doing something like this, such as a pattern interrupt, something as extreme as, as, as what JD did, perhaps. What would that be? Like, what, what, what do you believe it is about this pattern interrupt that has a lasting impact on someone's life? Even from um, your own experience? Yeah, because I do these a lot, right? I, I, this is, was my life. The reason why we brought JD and filmed the show is because if my brother and I wouldn't filmed it, no one would watch it because they're like, oh, yeah, this is what you do. That's what you do. But you bring JD, who's like most of America, and they're like, oh, my God, I relate to JD. They don't relate to me and my brother. They relate to JD, right? 
So uh, if I heard the question right, it's kind of like, what can people do outside of supply runs well, for this trip? Like, can you What is it that, that shifts in the paradigm shift? In the paradigm shift, what what exactly shifts ah. in this experience for them? Yeah, I see. I see. Yeah, good question. So, I think the simple word is just the word perspective, right? Most people listening to this are, are likely in some type of first world country where things are pretty darn good for you, right? And you may have an adv adversity, right? I have an adversity for sure, right? We all have something. But when you go and do something for somebody else that has a little bit less than you, right? And you make, you help support their lives in a better way. All of a sudden, you realize it's not just about you anymore, and that perspective changes. On top of it, you might also realize how good you actually have it. So the community we drop supplies at, it's called Saral Batori. It's a, it's a community that's way up in the Himalayas, uh, in a, uh, like I said, close to Kashmir. And uh, they, don't, they don't need anything more from us, frankly, right? They love their way of life, okay? So it's not about like we're going to like, improve their lives significantly. All we're going to do is support it. And when we talk to their people there, we're like, hey, what can we bring you, right? Because even though they love their way of life, there are things that will help. And like one of them was like, hey, if you brought us a hand loom, right, then the women here can make more stuff to sell more things, right? Because we can't just go and buy a hand loom. Like we could do it, but like we have to, so, so, you know, conserve our resources. And mind you, Sorol Batori is a three-hour walk from cell service, right? So if you get hurt up there, right, the, we had global rescue just in case something happened. My brother and I both got sick. And if something happened, Global Rescue would fly in a helicopter. But you still got to go two miles to the helicopter pad. <laughs> so it's kind of like when you're up there and you're realizing, I live in a Florida-gated community, right, Ventura, California, and then all of a sudden these people got to walk three hours, right, to get cell service to call for help. Like, you got it pretty good. Sure, part of it's their choice, part of it's not. But hey, you know what? They're probably happier than most people here in America, frankly. And so it's like you just, that's, that's the shift. It's perspective. And there's a quote by Mark Twain. It's like uh, narrow-mindedness, narrow bigotry, and prejudice would be basically solved if, if people would get out of their little corner of the world. And if you're in your little corner of the world, a.k.a. a fishbowl, right, you have the perspective of all the other fish in your little fishbowl. And when you leave the fishbowl and you go and do something like that, you get different perspective and you realize, oh, wow, things aren't as what the fishbowl says. And now your mind shifts and who you are shifts and likely you find ways to, to find better things in life. There'll be gratitude, exactly. Yeah, gratitude. That's, that's what it was coming to my own mind as well in terms of, uh, yeah, yeah, how good we have it and we take it all for granted. And yeah. even as you mentioned there at the beginning about your health, we take that for granted. You know, what is it? The, the, uh, big time. What the, the, the man who's healthy wants a hundred things. The man who's unhealthy just wants one thing, you know, that's, that's it. Oh my God. It's such a true statement, man. I don't think about anything, mm -hmm. but that one thing. Now. Yeah. <laughs> that's a perspective change for sure. You, uh, you talked as well about being on this hamster wheel and 
there's there's men listening, there's people listening to this right now who are stuck in that hamster wheel or stuck on that motorway in third gear going 100 miles an hour. I I gather that when you were on that motorway, burning yourself out, you weren't aware of the consequences or you didn't even know that you were on this 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 road towards uh towards destruction let's say so if there is someone on a hamster wheel or if there is someone burning them, themselves out right now how can they know <sighs> man I, you know that is tough because sometimes we justify right the means to the end like, well, I'm just going to do this thing because it's just, it'll eventually get me there. Right. And that's what I did. I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to be in e-commerce. Oh, I'm going to be in real estate. I'm going to be in payments because eventually it's going to just pay me the money to, to get me to there. And guess what? It didn't happen because the great recession of 2008, the couple startups I worked at didn't work out that well. The one place I went, the things didn't, you know, like things just didn't work out the way they were supposed to go in my head. I, like I said, I, I did well, but it didn't, it didn't translate into what I thought it was going to be. And so this whole idea of the hamster wheel versus the maze, like first, first and foremost, if you had a vision for your life, right? If you had something different in your life, then you're probably on a hamster wheel. Like I thought, it, I thought things would be different. That doesn't mean like, Hey, like I thought I'd be a rock star in front of a hundred thousand people, right? Like, that, that honestly, not everybody can do that, right? But what it might mean is like, I should have been in music no matter what. That's the difference. Like I made an editor, I, I, you, know, you know, I thought I was gonna be something like Anthony Bourdain. And I, you know, not everybody can be somebody like Anthony Bourdain. And so like, even if I was shooting for that, even if I was aiming to be like an Anthony Bourdain, that doesn't mean I was gonna become it. But it does mean that I could have been working on the show as a help, as an assistant, I could have been traveling the world, experiencing the things that would have come if I was a host, right? And I would have been just perfectly good. So it's like, if you are sitting here and you're like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? I was always intending to be this. Like, for example, like not everybody can be a professional athlete, but I tell you what, there's a lot of, there's a lot, Bill Belichick, New England Patriots, he was a, uh, he was a player, but he wasn't very good, right? But he ended up being one of the best coaches of all time, Hall of Famer, right? Maybe a debate to be the best of all time. There's plenty of people who are in that, that arena. I've, I've read stories about somebody who's like, well, I left, I left uh, pro sports and I went and got a job that pays better. You know, I went and got a job that gave me this. And then they just sit there for three years and they're like, F this. And they go back and become the lowest level, like scout for, for a team. Right. Or they just become a high school head coach or even a high school assistant coach. And like, I'd rather be around this than, than these, these, you know, corporate people, you know, and those people are way happier. I think about myself a lot on this because this, this is exactly what happened. I sold 10 million in real estate in 2007. That's a lot of money to sell. That's a lot of real estate to sell when you're 23 years old. One of my clients literally said to me, Chad, like, why aren't you just going to go work for Nat Geo? Literally said that to me. And I was like, because I'm selling real estate. I just sold 10 million in real estate. Why would I change? 
right? And they're like, well, at least go talk to this guy. So I went and talked to this guy who worked at Nat Geo. And he was like, look, I mean, we don't really have much. I mean, you can be an assistant to the photographer. Maybe, you know, I can get you that. I can get you an assistant to the photographer. But it pays 30000 a year. And I go, I just sold $10 million in real estate, man. There's no way. I just got to do a couple more years of this, and I'll build the next Nat Geo. And I look back at that moment, and I say, how would things have been different had I just said, you know what? That's the authentic me. I'll take that cut. Right? So if somebody's in that position or had that memory or that moment, you know, you can change it up before something, some adversity changes it for you. It's the, it's the money trap, though, isn't it? And then you start, you start right? living above your means, which means you need more money. To live within within those means, and then yeah, it's a never-ending chase just to pay your bills and keep up appearances. I own a house in California now, man. You can imagine what that's like. You own a house in Southern California, and it's just like, wow. <laughs> like, does it? You know, there was a moment when I first got diagnosed when all I wanted to do was just sell the place and move out and just be like, I'm done with this. It's an anchor. It's, it's preventing me from these things. But that's because I was making good money in all these other places and doing things. And, and now I'm kind of like, I trade that all in. Mm. How would you get out of that trap though? Once again, yeah, yeah. When you say out of that I trap, mean, like currently, the, now? the grip of money. Yeah, you like again go, go, going back there to what you yeah. talked about yeah. only a few minutes ago about selling ten million in real estate, and you know money was a big, big driver then because you, you know, money opens up incredible opportunities for you, you know, and you know you're, it, it is a it's a life changer, and then you're taking that and offered a, a job which you would potentially love, but it's thirty thousand dollars a year. Ugh. So it's passion versus income or passion versus the money. You know, I think the problem is, is with my youth and like some people are better than this, you know, younger, but I, I I couldn't see, I couldn't see the long game. I couldn't see the long game. All I saw was, you know, I made 80%, I made, so 30,000 was like 80% of what I made or something, right? Like, I can't remember the exact amount, but I was like, I couldn't see the long game of, of, but this is where you're going to be happy. And in time, you could probably re remake that, re, re, re get that, but you'll be doing it in a, in a way where it feels like you're constantly in a flow state. Just like, this is it, man. Instead of chasing, instead of chasing. But the problem was, is, you know, as a, as a quote unquote entrepreneur, one, one that likes to, to try and build things and do things. My thought was, what are you talking about? I'm just going to go build that geo. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that the great recession was around the corner. I didn't know that. You know? So I don't know, man, it's, it's a, it's a hard thing. And like the thing I say here, it's like, you know, the house, the, you know, the property, Early on, it felt like a weight. And same thing with this cancer. If I look at it wrong, right, I'm going to go back to that moment where I had that fork in the road, that decision where I'd say, take the Nat Geo job or 
or keep going with real estate. I often look at that fork in the road and go, if I would adjust, and then I have to stop myself. Because part of the neural nets that I'm pruning is something like that, right? Like one of them was, one of the neural nets that I, I recognized in this mental work is simply, is simply like, I wasted my time on earth. I wasted it. That's a really destructive thought when you're trying to heal yourself and try and figure out how to get past this. And so when I was doing the mental work, I recognized that, you know what? I was born for this shit. I was just born for it, man. This is the thing. So that moment of feeling like, don't get me wrong. There's days when I'm like, I don't want to be born for this. Like, I don't want it. Right? And it definitely took a while to actually think it and believe it and feel it. But now when I say I was born for this shit, I don't look, when I, when I truly believe I was born for this shit, right? I don't look back at that fork in the road anymore and say, I wish I would have. I said, no, man, I was born for this. There's a reason for this, right? And it could be just a coping mechanism, right? Especially some people are listening like, oh, well, that's just how you're telling yourself tricks, right? <laughs> there are days when I think that too, so don't worry. But like, then I think about us talking about this. How many people are listening to this right now? And because of me talking about it might make a change, might, or at least planted the seed, and six months later, they do make the change. That's when I go, ah, this new life is saving lives. Mm. And that changes everything, you know? Yeah. What was you said? That death brings life. <laughs> yeah, man. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what it is, man. Death brings life. And a lot of times that's death to self, right? It sounds super, you know, spiritual, if you will. I'm not even a spiritual person if at that point. But, like, it brings life. I mean, look, one of the other neural nets, right? One of the neural nets I got back from a half Ironman. I, was, I, I did a half Ironman in Hawaii in uh, June of last year. And I'm on the flight home and I'm doing this mental work. I'm deep in this black space, man. Just looking. It basically deep in that black space means I'm I'm thinking, I'm looking at my thoughts, but without the chemical reactions, right? I shut off the body so that I can literally look at the thoughts and analyze them without the emotion attached. And so that's called metacognition, thinking about thinking. And so I'm looking and I'm realizing like what's the phrase that what's what's undermining my healing right now? And the simple one I recognized was, well, cancer is killing me. When you think that cancer is killing you every single day, you live in a shitty way. And so I was like, well, what's, what's the difference? Like, what's the other side, right? And sometimes it's the exact opposite. And other times it's just a, it's a version of the exact opposite. But in this, way, in this case, I realized in that dark space, and that I was like, oh, dude, that's not serving me. So I changed it. It's like cancer saved me. And like when you first say it, you're like, dude, you're an idiot. There's no way this is the dumbest thing you could obviously come up with. But you work through that. And I sit there and I was like, cancer, save me. Cancer, saving me. Cancer, save me. And I'm like, I'm going through and I'm just repeating it over and over and over. And eventually you're creating the new neural net. That's the sprouting of a new neural net. And then like you say it enough times. I don't know. Maybe I said it a hundred times. Maybe I don't even know how many. But I said a lot of times before all of a sudden my body goes... Oh, maybe I believe that. And that's all I needed to feel because if my body feels what I actually think there and believes that, 
then eventually I can come out of it. And so by the end of that session, literally I was almost like hyperventilating because I'm like, oh my God, I actually believe that shit. <laughs> and so it's like death brings life. Cancer is killing me, but it saved me. And I have a chance right now to do something with it. And I don't know if that's going to be another six months, another six years, another 60 years. I don't know. I want 60. I like it here a lot, you know. But that's what I mean by death brings life. When something dies, there's something new somewhere else. And cancer basically killed the old version of me. I mean, obviously, I'm still me, right? I still have my personality and stuff. But at the end of the day, cancer killed me, killed the old version of me. And it's growing a new and one. And a better one. Mm. Yes. Chad. <sighs> wow. That's all I've got to say. It's been uh, an incredibly deep and moving and inspirational conversation, man. And yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you for all you do, man. Because you could very easily just, uh, you know, take this diagnosis and hide away and, um, you know, not not use it to empower other people or to help other people through their struggles and, and their difficulties, be it with, again, as I said, a physical or emotional yeah. uh, trauma in their life. So thank you for that, man. Don't get me yeah, wrong. Yeah, I still well, you need those moments for hide, sure. Man. Yeah, Don't yeah, we, we all do, but you, but also <laughs> yeah. you, you still show up. And, and, and yeah. uh, I appreciate you, man. And uh, I'm, I'm very excited for what's to come. Thank you. This uh, this Thank you. part of your life is just part one. Part two is is coming up. So, or maybe it's part two and part three is coming up. Thank but you. <laughs> you know what I mean. And uh, I'm yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. I so, do. Know what uh, you mean. Yeah, thank you for this. Now, for everyone thank listening you, to the to this podcast, where can they find you? Reach out to you. Follow your brilliant work. Become inspired. Let them know. Yeah, uh, the first place is go to becomingelite.co, becomingelite.co, uh, and then just sign up on the email there, right? Because that's where I do most of these updates. Right now, it says a lot of cancer updates, but we're going to be updating the process of becoming metabolically, physically, and mentally elite. So I'll be documenting more of that. Or you can just follow me on Instagram. I haven't posted in a while because I'm kind of re redoing some things with, with the way I operate. So you can go to just Chad Vanigs on, on, on Instagram or even LinkedIn. And there you can see if you wanted to watch Supply Run, yeah, I have stuff brilliant, yeah, to Definitely with well, the watch. So I will add those links below. Cool. And uh, Chad, thank you again. Stay strong, my man. Appreciate it, Gavin.